Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Big Boss Battles, Big Boss and Babble. Uh, with me, as usual this week, we have Mr. Dan. Hello. And we've got George. Hey. And Mr. Toby. Hello there. Hey, we're all here. Right, so um, I thought we'd start off this week uh, just having a quick chat about Tooth and Tail, because I, I believe we've all played it this week. And uh, as, as we all got it from... Uh, we got it... Oh, I'm Trent Shay, by the way. I'm Terry. I wasn't here last week. Hello. <laughs> I'm here as well. But anyway, yes, so 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 George, as you sort of introduced us all to this game, do you want to crack on with the uh, two and ten? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I can, I can give a you know, rough summary of what my experience has been, what it has been with, anyways, tongue twister aside. Um, it's, a, it's a strategy game. We've all been playing it. It's What I really like about it is it's very fast-paced. It's, it's very user, new player-friendly, but it's also... It's complicated enough to where there's a lot of depth to the strategy, and it's just it's a very fast-paced, enjoyable strategy game. It takes a lot of the micromanaging out of things. And I think that's probably the, the thing that I like the most out of it is that while there is a, a little bit of micromanaging, it's more about let's get some troops going, let's kill some people, let's get some strategy going and see who can, be, can basically win. Yeah, I found that as well. It's just like it's it starts out very fast. You sort of start, put your farms down, put this, put your little, put your little things down that generate the enemies. And then you, you've got an army within a couple, within like a minute right. and you can just go. And, and I really you know, like the, that. There's been a lot of comparisons to like Starcraft. And I mean, I can kind of see what they're talking about. Cause it, it is about, you know, you have to expand very quickly and gain your resources. You have to start creating more and more farms because your farms decay and then they deplete and then you're done. Yeah. It's, it's it's definitely fast, uh, but the the minimalist side is is probably what I think is the kind of best selling point of that because there is so little that you have to do. And I know that in RTS games there generally aren't many controls; it's normally click and go. But because you are the cursor, it it removes even that element of kind of drawing a box around what units you want to select and drawing a this and that. And I haven't quite got used to rolling through the units and pulling certain units over to me because I'm still not that far into the story, but, uh, but no, it's, it's, it's quite good. I'm, I'm impressed with it so far. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the easy, the easy controls, I was really surprised with the fact that you can do everything, you know, the WS and D keys just literally move the camera and then everything else is pretty much done in your mouth. It's, it's just so quick and easy to get into. It, it kind of keeps you on your toes because you constantly have to keep moving yourself essentially to kind of, you know, put troops here, make sure you have this farm going. So it does have that hecticness to it that some of the other RTS games have, but it's just simplified so beautifully. That's what I, like Dan said, it's just really very well done minimalistically. It does feel odd initially, and, well, I suppose not even initially, it feels odd all the way through uh, that you're this big character and that you can't attack because because you're the cursor, basically. Because you're this big character and you've got these, li even even the small kind of squirrels or lizards are, are aggressive, but you are the cursor, and that that felt a little bit alien at first. That's my that's my first kind of real negative with the game is that I I I was never doing anything passively. You are quite literally the cursor, and yeah, I know that's a bit of an odd point because mm. it's a positive and a negative, but. Uh, it does feel a bit strange. I, I rather liked that aspect to it. I thought it was very interesting and unique because 
it's all about being aware of what your enemy's doing. Mm-hmm. And you also have to be aware of your own position at the same time. Because, yeah, if you die, then suddenly you can't move any more troops and you have to wait for yourself to respawn. I, I kind of like that a little bit. Even if you are just the cursor, I think it adds a, a kind of an extra, a little bit of a layer of a strategy to it. But I'm the cursor and at the same time, I'm the general. So I've got a, I've got, I've got health. So like in Command and Conquer or StarCraft, if I mouse my cursor over an enemy base to give an order, I don't get penalized for the amount of time that I spend with my cursor over that base. And I suppose it's probably because I, I kind of live and breathe, or for a long time, I lived and breathed RTS titles. And so it, it feels a bit odd that I'm almost penalized for having a quick scout ahead. But that said, I am still enjoying the game and I'm getting through the levels with kind of minimal retries and I'm making decent progress. So it's not that bad a point. Uh, I notice now that I seem to be gaining more health as as the battle goes on for longer. Unless, yeah. that, me- unless that mechanic is explained in a different way, like the amount of farms you have or whatever but uh but that's that's quite good but yeah it just seems odd that because some of the enemy generals keep dashing towards my farms yeah yeah i thought that was kind of hilarious they keep just like running into my base and dying over and over again but are they attacking or are they just scouting okay that's that's fine i because I wasn't there, because I was also scouting off, I kind of thought, how come they get to attack and I don't? But then obviously we were we were overpowering, well, the, the pigs that manned the farms were overpowering them. I, I, I want to change the subject slightly unless anyone wants to... Does anyone have anything else to say about the game's mechanics? Not for there me. Was, well, there was, there was one thing I did actually want to bring up. Like My only gripe with the game Tooth and Tail thus far, though, is that the story of it, like, it's not as awesome as I'd hoped because it has such great like art and it looks like such a great setting. I expected a little bit more from the story and it's just like, okay, so they eat each other. All right, whatever. <laughs> I was just going to say, if nobody's got anything to say about the mechanics, I want to say that the story is absolutely brilliant. And what? I, really? Yeah. And I really like the setting. There's kind of this kind of industrial age thing going on. There's also obviously the Russian revolution uh, the whole, yeah, the whole animals kind of just simply doing it because they're hungry and want to eat something is a, is a bit odd, but cannibalism's a bit of a taboo, you know. It's it's not something cool that we engage. We don't nip down the nip down the shops and buy a human leg and cook it up. So, so obviously it, it is a little bit odd. But then if you're trying to dehumanize, as in uh, remove that attachment to the terrible things that happened during the revolutionary period and the industrial era, then you're going to change the characters from human to something else. And by changing them to animals, unfortunately, you've now got a whole bunch of factions who the worst thing that's happening to them is they're all being starved and killed. And all of a sudden, because they are actually what we as humans do eat you've you've now got a bit of a conundrum where where you changed your main characters to non-humans but also into food so well i I didn't get that much from the story to be honest with you i think maybe i'm just a historical buff but no i i mean the the historical the historical influences are really 
really good. Uh, although it doesn't quite make that much sense when the squirrels are like, hey, we're squirrels and we're starving. You need to go kill some badgers so we can eat the badgers. Right. When squirrels live on nuts, right? You know, not to get in, <laughs> not to suddenly leave that <laughs> historical reference and go on to a, you know, <laughs> biological one. But it is it is good. I, 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 I do like the whole because the gear they're wearing and the whole kind of workers revolt and the mm-hmm. it's it's the workers revolting against an upper class but then the royalty aren't getting involved and then another faction appears and it's all i i really like that i like that kind of interlacing story uh, and i like the settings and i like that they've taken on characteristics from history while obviously also simply in some points just being influenced by it as opposed to directly replicating it but uh but i i i think that's a, a really a really good setting i'm i'm sorry that you don't well i mean just to counter what you said um my, my, in my opinion i don't think there was enough world building to be honest with you like i said i think they have such an amazing setting they have such an amazing art style they have such an amazing kind of theme around you know animals and you know they're wearing clothes and there's lizards and there's squirrels and there's all sorts of crazy, like a sniper fox. And that's all really cool. But to me, it doesn't feel like there was enough world building. I think a lot of what you're talking about, I mean, yes, obviously some of them are obviously references, but you're kind of drawing probably a lot, I think from history where I think they're just, I don't know if if they earned that, if you know what I mean? I think they, they're kind of just, it was very loosey goosey the way that they played with the story uh if you will and um it's just one area which they it's just been a little bit more definition on i would like to have gotten to know you know more about the the leaders and the factions and all that kind of jazz touche no 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 that's i mean i my opinion on it is entirely propped up by my slight historical knowledge of the the period in time uh without that i'd just be the same as you know, someone who doesn't have that information going, all oh, right, so that one's got a flamethrower and it used to be a right. <laughs> Uh Yeah, uh, that's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I know there'd be a lot of confusion if that, you know, historical knowledge wasn't there. And that's that's a completely valid point. Yes, they could have done with some world building, even if it was just a big map between missions that you could view that showed you winning over certain regions and then you could click and see that that leader that they just mentioned you know seat is seated here and you know they have this and that and this and that so fair enough fair enough too bad they don't have mallards in the game <laughs> indeed Ooh. Uh... <laughs> we don't talk about mallards anymore no, okay we'll, we'll stay clear of that Okay, so thank you for that, guys. Let's move on to the next thing. So, obviously, it's a big story this week. A certain big YouTuber said a certain word, and things happened. And we're not gonna we're not gonna go into all that too much. But what we want to discuss is the is the DMCA takedown portion of the story, which is quite frankly a bit ridiculous in my mind. He's not Voldemort. We can say his name. It was <laughs> he who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah, well, so is that? Yeah, yeah. PewDiePie said uh, the the N word, as they often often put it. But yeah, the, the the DMCA takedown by the developer 
Do we agree with that or not? I think it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, it's, it is within the legal right that they have the ability to do this. Whether or not it's a good thing is another matter. But they're not breaking the law yet. But isn't... Wait. But fair use, they they let the videos... How long were they up before they suddenly went harumph, harumph? And I, I don't... I don't think that's necessarily fair. Yeah, see, I'm with George yeah. on that. It's mm. it's not fair. They're, they're, they're using the copyright system for an issue which has nothing to do with copyright whatsoever. You know, over a year. So, yeah. I mean, on, on one side, you know, I, I completely understand why they would want to remove their content. You know, you don't want to be associated with that. That's fine. Mm. But at the same time, it's just... It's the wrong way to go about it. Is right. definitely, and it, it's think... just it has a lot of implications for the future because I think as of this morning, they just approved it, didn't they? Yep. PewDiePie now has one strike against his channel. Two other people decide to do this, then he has lost his channel. Yeah, but let's is... be honest. Even if he lost his channel and he made a new one, he'd he'd build up so it it would be he'd break records with how quickly it would build up again, just because he's that big. True. If I made something and somebody was making money off of that and that person represented, even if it was for the briefest moment, something that I really didn't like, then I should think that I would have, I should hope that I would have in some way, you know, some way of making sure that that person didn't make money off of my product. This is a really odd situation, obviously, because once again, this comes down to, you know, digital rights. But these people have made something and, you know, we don't know whether he's bought it. We don't know whether he's got a license, yada, yada. That doesn't matter. But he's made something off the back of that. You know, this is the same as if if a... Oh, I don't know, because there wasn't even a contract here. That's the thing. This, yeah. is, this is entirely non-contractual. This isn't This isn't somebody making a movie and then a musician going, hey, I made a song. Can I use clips from your movie? It's not even that. It's literally, I mean, if you, if you, let's just take the situation apart. If you, if you just look at it at a very simplistic level, it's, it's somebody basically saying, well, I don't want my product related to you because I, you said something I don't like. And at that basic level, one, they would have to be able to, in my opinion, have to be able to prove somehow that it affected their product in some way. And to be honest with you, while I, I agree completely with what they did, I think that's perfectly fine. I don't think it's technically right. I don't think they, their product was affected in any way. I felt like they did this just because they could. And I think that has farther implications than anything else. I mean, it has been affected now. Have been well, review bombed yeah. on Steam down to what is it well, now? They brought that on themselves by kind yeah. of doing that. Yes, I think another dev I think asked PewDiePie to remove his video playing their game, and that has gone through now, and he took it down of his own volition. I think that is another easier way that doesn't bring about all this difficulty and doesn't put a strike against his channel. Indeed, I mean, I think. I can't remember what my point was. I was going to make. No, it was. It was. <laughs> it was. But you know, where does it stop? Like us, we we review games. If we put up a vi- if we put up we a do. video review saying the game was rubbish, would it be fair that they DMCA and take the video down? No, because it's it's 
it wouldn't be fair because that's where we have the problem with fair use and freedom of speech and all that kind of jazz. That's the kind of the it becomes this entire gray area that no one has ever as the courts have never settled, and that's the problem now. This kind of sets a precedent from this point forward of well now it's it's pretty much free game. Anybody, if you say something you don't like, they can now just go ahead and say, well, get your stuff, get your, get my stuff off your site or off your channel, or it kind of sets this huge precedent. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the, the biggest fallout of this. I mean, you know, ignoring PewDiePie and all this situation is going to cause a problem for a hell of a lot more people. Yeah. Because if you can do it against, let's be honest here, the biggest YouTuber there currently is, then anybody smaller than that is fair game. So it's, it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's a lot of, you know, apocalypse talks, a lot of doom saying, but it does have implications for the future period and no matter what way you want to look at it. Yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, like, like you say, PewDiePie is the biggest guy on, on YouTube, but this could now extend out. I mean, even if someone like IGN put out a bad review of a game, they could, they could put a strike up against IGN and they're a, a legitimate business. And and that's a, a very bad thing in my mind. But freedom of speech and the right to criticise are completely different things. Like, at the minute, the countries that talk the most about freedom of speech are also the most litigious about slander and libel. If I say I hate something, I might get sued. Whereas in another country where I'm basically not allowed to say that I hate something. Other things will happen, but it won't be legal. There is there is an issue when it comes to rights and digital rights as to what people can say and what people can't say. And, and freedom of speech doesn't really even tie into that, as we've seen in this case, because these people didn't like this creator who has used something of theirs and so have, you know, used their right to say, we made this, you shouldn't profit from it. You know, that YouTube is a massive anomaly uh, and we should one day sit down and talk about it. But the whole earning money from YouTube, you're accepting money from strangers, put simply. You know, Nescafe or random other company, Captain Morgan's, put X amount of money into advertising and they don't get to say, we don't want to advertise on any channels that are run by this person or we don't want to advertise on any channels that are run by people in this age group and that's a flaw and that means that people who are benefiting from youtube are getting money from strangers essentially the whole advertising system there is completely forked yeah, and but that, similarly the, the 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 gaming ownership and right to distribute videos of a game it's been so open and people have called out companies that have said, well, no, you can't spoil our game. No, you can't show our game. That we've just come to assume that people can just display and air their game. But there's always, historically, when there were when magazines were big and when you know print was the only way that you'd really ever get to hear about a game before it came out, back then there was so much legal paperwork in can we use this picture? No, you can't use this picture. Use this picture instead. Because people wanted an image shown. And it's only because of the internet and because of kind of YouTube and I suppose the ease of accessibility of screenshotting stuff that that now we have this whole group of people that we call creators who are 
making stuff from other people's things. I kind of agree in a in a way, but it also because like you say back in the day when it was magazines you know there was all this legal stuff about you can't use this you can't use that is is this game developers literally lashing out due to lack of control if you ask me yes and that's not a problem in my mind because let's face it if i uploaded a full movie onto youtube then i'm going to get that claimed and taken down and that's not I know- your work though no but, but then me recording a video of me playing a game isn't my work either, really. It can be that, transformative, though. Yeah. That game was made by someone else. Yes, the games are more malleable, and you play them and go on your own path through them, but that content is still made by someone else. When I'm watching someone play a game, I'm not watching the game, I'm watching the person, which is... Yeah. Like what you're saying, most of the time, it's personality-based, not game-based. Mm. You're watching what's it. Video is the game, and what's the, the the reviewer, the gamer, who owns what part? I agree. Uh, you've you've always made that. Uh, you've you've always used that argument, and it's a solid argument uh, regarding Twitch and and YouTube stuff. Whenever we've talked about it, because I frankly don't understand it or really engage with it. But yes, in your in your example, it's the personality in the of the individual you are essentially going around a mate's house and watching them play a game apart from you're not because you're using the internet to do it and is that the difference between streaming and and youtube edited gameplay footage or because i mean obviously in this i don't know <laughs> it's a tricky it's a tricky subject we've no gone, gone gone too deep into the the rabbit hole here yeah. no, I, it's, I'm it's <laughs> If I may, I, I, I ha- there's my question to you guys. It's this. If, let's say, IGN, Polygon, whatever publisher released a racist article by accident or, you know, said something stupid in an article by accident and suddenly a developer came out and said, well, you know what? I want you to take my review off your website. Would that be okay? That's a very good question. I think the difference between a video uh, personality a YouTube personality and a website is that the website is an entity first. So you might see a developer say, take this down. And in your example, Polygon or Kotaku, whatever, as an entity might say, no, because it was by a different author or no, because it was this, 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 this. But then similarly, those websites are all checked for stuff multiple times over as well. Accountability is very different when it's a one-man band versus a ten or eleven-person setup. My point is, is it's a it's a slippery slope. I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and, and technically you are correct because it, it, it is it is different between what what a, a logo is and what a single person is. I, I can see what you're saying there, but I think, and again, this is all just doom saying. It's a what just happened here with this situation. It's a slippery slope. It's dangerous. And it's going to have some big, it's going to have some big, big implications unless it's settled in court. Finally, after all this time, but chances are, I don't know, things are probably just going to go back to the way they were. They'll probably just ignore it. And... So should everybody be able to make any video of any game that they have played because of because they bought the license? Because 
I, I do agree, and it's really got to be one extreme or the other. You know, the ownership has either got to default to the developer, the actual creator of the product that's being experienced, or once the license is owned, it's got to be, you know, out there for people to use. Because video creators and streamers shouldn't, I mean, it, we could change to a system where they all have to specifically request permission to to stream or upload a video and they have to get approval. But I don't think that's functional in the long term. No, agreed. Well, I, th- I think what we I think we should uh, move on from now because now we're getting into the realms of licensing and all kind of different stuff. But yeah. be sure the the situation is going to be a, a a very interesting watch over the next few months and years. I I do believe. Oh, yeah, so we could probably talk about this in circles and make ourselves sick. <laughs> we could, but let's go from uh, one controversial subject to potentially another one. Uh, an uh, an NK game where you shoot American soldiers. This one's for you, Toby. Oh, heavens. Right. Hunting Yankee is a game from a North Korean studio where it appears to be from a propaganda game where you shoot American soldiers and get points. A sort of hunting game. And while it may seem a bit... I mean, my first reaction was, this is a bit off, this isn't very nice, but in the end, how is that different to the Homefront games or any... Call of Duty ever? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. You can you can take the stance of oh, it's North Korea; they're all mental and being controlled by everyone. But, but in the same vein, um, you've got games like Wolfenstein that was based around killing Nazis, or you've got that leveling Call of Duty where you killed civilians, or you know, loads of other examples. Like Toby said, all the Call of Duty games, it's it's one side killing the other. What's the difference? Is it just because, oh, it's Americans, we can't kill the Americans? Well, yeah, you, yeah, you can. <laughs> please, kill everyone don't, else. please don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay, clarification there, all right? No, I, I, I think when, when people talk about a, a race or a, or, or a group of countrymen or countrywomen, they, they generally mean just the people in charge of it. Uh, Don't worry, George. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, I'll just put my my little opinion on this. Um, it, it, this is just like every other shit game that comes out on Steam. Forgive my language, but I, I barely even acknowledge this thing's existence. It's it's whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I I think the the difference here between the examples that were given earlier is the relevance and the setting. So. Homefront, for instance, is an alternate history setting, albeit slightly more advanced in the future, blah, 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 blah. You know, Wolfenstein is an alternate history in the past setting, uh, whereas this was modern day setting. This is pretty much like if America released, well, they did, didn't they? You had America's Army and wasn't Full Spectrum Warrior originally a training thing? Yes, it was. But it's very much like, because uh, obviously that conflict was already going on in those examples. It's very much like America. Oh, actually, no, I need to not say America. It's very much like a developer who are based in America releasing a game where you bomb the eastern half of Asia. Was it's... that in one of the modern warfare games where you shot up churches or something? Uh, in Resistance, there was a blown out church from Manchester. That really was 
quite a I remember there was one COD game you were like in a plane or something that was bomb the mosques or something. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. Whoa. <laughs> I would I be. Know about that. Because if that was a thing, that would have made a big deal at the time. Yeah, no, I... I'm and we would have sure. all known about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that wasn't wasn't a thing. What this reminds me of is uh, there was... I forgot what the game was called, but it was the game that came out where it was a guy in a trench coat and the entire game was just about killing people who were running away from you. Hatred, yeah, hatred. This exactly reminds me of that. And and my question in all this is that what was the spirit, like what was the intentions behind making this game in particular? Was it just, if it was just to be hateful, you know, if it was just to be derogatory, if it was just to be, you know, demeaning to a race or creed or whatever have you, then I think that's crap. I think that's just, you know. Well, uh, I suppose in this case, we have to assume it is. If it was made in North Korea for North Korean people, obviously the um, America is the, the big evil to them, isn't it? The, the, so I'm guessing that is exactly the point. Right. So, I mean, in, in that regard, you know, you, I don't think, and while they're not my favorite games of the world, I don't think people who make Call of Duty exactly have hate or spite in their hearts i think they're just making a game because they're trying to earn a check and you know feed their families and whatever have you they're just game developers you know everybody wants to be one you know i wanted to be one when i was a kid anyways so i, I think there's a difference maybe. maybe maybe not for all of them but you know i don't think that's the general intention well it depends you you get the times when you you, you can clearly see that a developer is trying to make a statement so like like the aforementioned level in the Call of Duty game where you where you play as the insurgents, I don't know if that's the right word, uh and and you, you kill innocent people. That that wasn't that I don't think that was a case yeah. of just, just working for a check. That was trying to make a statement. But that's right. also why they gave you the option in the game of look, this is what's what's going on. If you want to skip this you can. Yeah, so that scene, uh the the baddies there were Russian they were a Russian militaristic faction who were trying to overthrow various parts of the world. Uh, the mission was called No Russian, and basically what it was is a bunch of th- of this group were pretending they weren't Russian. They were pretending they were another group. I think they were Americans, possibly, uh, and shooting up a bunch of innocent people in an airport so that there would then be grounds for them to say you know we are under attack we are this is our authorization this is our permission to go forward so i mean that was i don't i don't think that had a political message outside of possibly people who you may perceive are good may in fact be manipulating things behind the scene but what we're talking about here this north korea uh this north korean title this game developed in north korea uh does in very many ways just amount to some crazy propaganda but then on the on the same par if people are living inside that bubble and they make a game where you're shooting a bad guy in the modern day they're going to naturally pick that faction they've been told is terrible and this is like us just randomly grabbing a any old throwaway game that's been developed by a bunch of people somewhere you know anyone could grab a random game off of one of the storefronts and try and say that it has a certain mission or message. I'm sure that there's a lot of anti other race games out there that are, you know, amid the deluge on mobile platforms. And I think that's, that's, 
that's kind of for me that's what the focus is here is it's if if a game is developed with you know hate or spite in its coding then i just ignore it i i i don't i don't i think the best way to deal with those types of games is to ignore their existence because that's what's going to piss them off more than anything else um it's just ignoring it agreed uh my my final note on this one although obviously if anyone else wants to talk about it feel free but my final note on this one is that the people who made hatred which obviously got a lot of press because everybody was quite offended by this game that had no point essentially and was doing what postal had been doing the people who made that are now making a very impressive real-time strategy game called ancestors which is set in a slightly norse setting and it's completely unlike what they made before it's a really high quality real-time strategy game with squads and group movements and it's 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 really impressive and you would not have been able to tell that it was made by the same developers unless you looked into it yeah but you know what that is don't you that's that's a classic move let's make a let's make a completely random game that's massively controversial because obviously like as we've discussed before all news is good news when it comes to marketing and things like that, if so, if people are talking about it, it's going to get bought, and that's given them the money to go and make the actual game that they wanted to make. Wow, such a cynical view, Jesus! It is, but <laughs> that, at the, at the end of the day, it is business. Jesus, he's only just got over that. Yeah. <laughs> but at the, at the end of the day, business is business, and you know some moves are underhanded, shall we say? But it's it's all business at the end of the day. Oh. You're probably right. I just—it's kind of disgusting that that's that we can even conceive that notion, in my opinion. Yeah, but I mean, the, the thing is—I mean, yes, it may it may be disgusting, but sometimes it's—I mean, I don't—I don't—I wouldn't—I wouldn't blame the developer for doing that. It's kind of the society that we're in now. You have to—you have to do what you need to do to get ahead in the market, as it were. It's just society. Speaking of which, guys, I'm making a cooking game where you feed puppies and kittens to Nazis. It's going to be great. <laughs> That sounds good. I'll be honest with you. As time goes on, oh, I said I had finished talking on this one. We'll have to we'll have to have a conversation about uh, marketing techniques and stuff like that because recently the Tokyo Forty Two launch on PlayStation Four had a bit of a situation around it that actually wasn't a situation. It was a marketing ploy where the publisher pretended that or sorry, had another developer make up a fake game and say that Tokyo 42 was a clone of Tokyo 41, a long-lost game from kind of the 1980s, and that he should be taken, you know, the publisher should be taken to court for this, etc. And it was was clever, and something seemed odd, and the technology wasn't right, but at the same time, I couldn't help but think, even if this is just one of his mates joking around, this is going to wear away at him and this isn't right and this isn't fair and it's not nice if it's someone messing around. If it's somebody actually being malicious or they have a point, then still there's there's something wrong there. And so I was starting to get concerned for the uh, the publisher, uh, thinking that he was being psychologically worn down. And then obviously it turned out that it was a big old... Uh, a big old marketing ploy, which did get a fair bit of attention. And so does that then further this spiral of of sneaky sneaky tricks? No, you see, what, you, what you've just described to me sounds awesome. 
Because it's it's not <laughs> something that's been done before. No, it was a completely new ploy. I mean, I mean, and and to be honest, in that situation, obviously, you know, they, he made out that he was being hurt, but he wasn't hurting anyone. He hadn't done anything that was offensive to anyone. The only person it was really affecting, you know, which is a wrestling term kayfabe in the story, was him, but it was all made up by him. So I don't really have a problem with that. Well done. That's, <laughs> well done to him, sir. I was just asking Toby if it was on Steam, and apparently it's it hasn't even made it onto Steam yet, so it's not, I have, yeah. it's not even good enough for Steam. That's that's kind of hilarious. Excellent. Unable to get a copy at least <laughs> for our best efforts. Right. So that's that's the heavy topics for this week. Now let's move on to a few topics that a lot of people are happy about. So, George, tell us about your Magic School game. Oh, yes. Let me bring up the article. It's a new game. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry may, I, may I make a request? Can you yes, uh, recreate the sound that you have put into the uh, podcast document for us, please? <laughs> oh, sure. It's a squee! <laughs> Thank <there> you. You. <laughs> <laughs> you may continue. <laughs> that is, uh, that is the same as a mouse getting chased and then cut in half. Oh, good gosh. <laughs> it's not a very nice noise. Anyways, yes. Uh, I am a huge, huge Chucklefish fan. I pretty much worship every game that they release because I love pixel art. I love what they do. And they have recently announced that they are inspired uh, from recently their work with Stardew Valley because they've been handling the multiplayer aspect of that. And that's coming out hopefully sometime this year or early next year. I don't forget, I don't remember which. But they have recently announced that they're going to be making a magical-based school type of game in the same vein as Stardew Valley. Um, and they've released some screenshots, and it just looks fantastic. And I cannot be more excited for this game. I, I cannot wait to play this game. Uh, I don't I don't think they have an official name yet. I think it, there, there's a lot of people bouncing around names like uh, Spellbound, but they haven't officially named it yet. But it just it looks so fantastic. It looks it has a lot of you know obvious Harry Potter vibes. Harry Potter plus Harvest Moon is the only thing I have to say, and that just to me that sounds amazing. You know, it's, it's my, I'm fangirling, fan geeking over here. Whatever term you want to use, it just sounds amazing to me. Spellbound is the name that I'd seen as well. Uh, although they might have issues with that because Sony used that for one of their PlayStation Move tie-ins. Uh, they had this kind of book thing that you could get that PlayStation Move read. That was that was excellent, by the way. I'll just yeah, so that. they might have some issues with that, but uh, but no, the, the the game looks the game looks absolutely brilliant. I I love, as you said, the pixel art that tends to go hand in hand with games that they're publishing or developing, and I really like the idea of a kind of magic school kind of thing. I guess. I mean, is uh, that is this them following the pattern that Harvest Moon? went so you had harvest moon and then obviously it kind of had a split and, and they released rune factory which right, was basically yeah. a magic version of harvest moon it, it, they did mention that is one of the sources for its inspiration as well they they kind of mentioned that as well when it comes to this game uh but they've also mentioned things like potion crafting and apparently they're not necessarily going to have that exact farming aspect but they're going to have enough there to kind of keep you constantly busy as you were in, let's say, Harvest Moon or Stardew Valley. Uh, and yeah, so that, it's just, it looks really great. It's one of those games, Biomutant 
And now, for now, Spellbound is the games that I'm looking forward to the most out of 2018. What would be nice is if, I mean, did did any of you play uh, Canis Canamedit uh, fully? Yes, I had the original version of that, yes. It has a routine uh, system in it, which is really nice. Uh, that's what I like about Harvest Moon. It's well, yeah, like you're, you're in the school, aren't you? Yeah. You have that's to go it. to lessons, otherwise you get detention and all kind of that's stuff. It. So it, it runs on the principle of Grand Theft Auto, i.e. you've got a big open area that gets more open as the game goes on. But rather than the missions just being little bubbles that you go up to whenever you're willing to take them on, they essentially only occur at certain points of the day, and the day has got a time cycle on it. So, And obviously the map is subsequently a lot smaller. So if you're going to go to geography, you have to get there on time. If you're going to go to English, you have to get there on time. And and that was really cool, even though the lessons themselves were just little mini-games. They were that little was, QTEs, weren't they, pretty much? Yeah, they were. It was almost like a little dance. Uh, it was like a little yeah. DDR game, wasn't it? So, but uh, but that was really cool. And I think if they do that, uh, even if it's intersected with, you know, actual, you know, verbing spells, or I don't quite know how they'd do it. But uh, but if they have that kind of structure to the game, I'll be happy to see how they actually manage to uh, try and implement the whole setting of the game as it were because magic in games is obviously a bit of a bit of an odd thing because magic can be rather powerful at times which can be very unbalanced which can be an issue in games yeah i I think those what you just said was like those those are great ideas and i think there's there's a there's a multitude of ways you explore that you know you have magical beasts and you go to class and maybe you can learn to tame this is all speculation of course of just things that i would like to see anyways but yeah you can go like tame magical beasts you have to go to beast class you know you want to learn more you know curative spells you have to go to you know whatever class relates to that or destructive magic or herbology to you know potion making it, it really it has a lot of room to play with and i think you're right that it is definitely going to have that routine aspect to it and then they're going to kind of litter it in with that that you know harvest moon aspect where you can flirt with other students and have relationships and there's probably going to be a grand hall where everybody's going to be at and there's going to be holidays and special events and it's just to me i think it's gonna it's gonna be spectacular i think it's gonna be a, a great game it has a lot of i think it does have a lot of room to play yeah it certainly it certainly looks good i mean i've only seen a couple of screenshots and all that but it's certainly one to look out for definitely yeah. It'll be definitely a game I probably bring back on the podcast. I, I do apologize. It'll probably be not the last time you guys hear of this. <laughs> no, it looks good. Right, so uh, Mr. Toby is looking forward to something this week, and that is Heat Signature. Yes, so Heat Signature is you have an entire like galaxy of space, and you're a bounty hunter in a small ship. Your job is to bounty hunter it up. It looks amazing. You fly around, you go onto procedurally generated spaceships, you go through and you kill or knock out the people, you either like steal a piece of technology or money or kidnap a person. It just I've been following it for like nearly two years now and it's been it's it looks like it's coming on really well and it's coming out at this point in four days. Really excited for it. It it's a really promising game, but then again, it's from Tom Francis who made uh, Gunpoint, which was equally yes. an interesting, interesting title, uh, which in, not only introduced or 
had mechanics that were new and hadn't been used in other games, but consistently used them all the way through the game. Uh, the difference, obviously, between Gunpoint and this is that this is profoundly open world. And it's all based on that kind of trajectory when you're not, you know, in a ship. And then when you're in a ship, it's in this brutal, fast-paced, impulsive, chaotic conflict to clear or get through the ship. You know, I, I mean, I suppose there's a stealth option as well. But from what I've seen, it's very much a 2D top-down infiltration game that takes on the best bits of hitman where you kind of panic and grab a wrench and knock that guy out and grab a gun and shoot that person but then it gets a bit science fiction and you kind of teleport through that wall and drop a bomb and teleport out and and then all of a sudden you're in the pilot's chair and you're steering the ship and i i think the most impressive thing despite you know obviously my excitement about the game from what i just said the most impressive thing to me is that it's all in one screen. You are... You said that like a question. <laughs> yeah, yes. it, it's all in one... Sorry, yeah. <laughs> it's it's all in one screen uh, in that you're literally punching a bloke in the face and then you're sitting in the chair that you just, you know, beat him out of or whatever. And then, you know, the game just pulls back and all of a sudden you're just another tiny blip like you were before you got into that ship floating around in the galaxy and everything's still going on all the other systems were still at play but it's just at that moment you zoomed all the way down and i love that scale the fact that like in real life i guess the whole world is ticking on you know i'm talking to you guys at the minute and one of you are in america one's in australia one of you's in okay one of you's about four miles away from me but but when I put this headset down, the only thing that's going to exist in my world, kind of, is what's in front of me again. And so all of a sudden, priority number one is, why is the cat throwing up in the kitchen? You know, <laughs> but then one of you sends me a message, and then boom, all of a sudden, the whole world's there again, you know? And, you and just it, went from that scale. Something extremely phil philosophical, philosophical to... Extremely mundane and back to philosophical. And it was, re it was, I don't know. It, it does represent, sort of it does represent the scale that he's talking about though. Amazing. Yeah. It's excellent. I like the fact that that when you're on a ship, it seems to, it seems to play like, um, what's it? Uh, Hotline Miami. Uh, it's made by the guys who made Gunpoint. So, I mean, right there, I, I give them massive kudos and it has my interest based off that alone. That's, I mean, Hotline Miami actually is a really, really good example. I went for Hitman because Hitman to me is about discovering new things. Every every hour that I played that game, I, I felt like I learned something new, whereas Hotline Miami was very much about reflex killing everything, whereas, yeah. whereas Hitman was about accidentally finding a new mechanic. But yeah, no, you're right. With that point of view, I can definitely see the hotline Miami angle and obviously how frantic it gets as well. My, my other concern is with um, games that are procedurally generated is that eventually, you know, how, how much randomness they can put into it before it all starts to kind of feel the same way or tactics start to get reused to get things done. I look, it's definitely an interesting looking game though. And you guys have made me more interested about it for sure. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for that, lads. So now we'll move to Dan for his exciting game of the week, and that is Cook Serve Delicious 2. 
and I want to discuss the first one as well a little bit. So oh, has, go anyone, ahead. has anyone here played either of the two games? Oh. Well, I, I did have that game I mentioned where I'm serving puppies and kittens to Nazis. What is Cook Sub Flushes? Which one is it? <laughs> yes, I have played it. It's brilliant, right? It's, it's so, oh. Yeah, it, it's hard to explain, but basically... No, there is no basically to it. I take that back. Press buttons to make food, and then you do it super fast. And it's like an MMO, and the speed you press buttons, you're making yeah, a pipe. That's super it. Super hectic. Yeah, I mean, if somebody when if somebody looked at somebody who was playing Cook Serve Delicious and they were into that game, then they'd be like, "What is this person? A 1990s Hollywood hacker in a movie?" You know, because because <laughs> you're literally sitting there. And, you know, you're glancing from the side to see the orders that are coming up, and then you're looking to the other side to see the buttons that you've got to press to serve up the food. And it's all about it's all about sequences and patterns, and it's all mm. about threat analysis, and it's all about and it, 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 it's wow. really, it's really kind of peak game when you're like, oh, they want a lasagna, but a lasagna is going to need a couple of layers of cheese to go on, and that's going to need to go in the oven, and that's, I don't know if there's lasagna, actually. And I've got to wash the toilet at the same time, yeah. and also pull this other person's... That's it, and all of a sudden... Of... Yeah, and all of a sudden, this, this food is, is done, and it's ticking down, and I can't lose my perfect score, so I've got to do those. And, I mean, that's just the first game. The first game, you had kind of five or six different... Uh, serving counters i suppose as it were and then you'd prepare and choose your menu in the morning uh each one of those mm. required a certain amount of actions so for instance uh, a favorite of mine uh, both in real life and in cook serve delicious was beer just hold Where down wasn't it you, you hold down the down button and then press a button when it's ready to go and that's it you serve it up and that's pretty simple but then for things like the salad, which was another one that I used regularly, you would have to obviously press the button to activate it, which you can do with the numpad. Uh, for anyone listening who hasn't played this, everything can be done with the mouse or it can be done with the keyboard or you can even set it up to work on controllers as well. I recommend controller. It's great. I really enjoyed uh, keyboard because I really like the accidental acronyms and the fact that you learn the, the letter mm. patterns. So for the salad, for instance, it may appear in slot one. You press one on the on the keyboard. It brings it up on screen. And at that point, you're engaged. If you do something wrong now, you just foul that person, which is a bit awkward. And I, I wish that I wish there was a kind of like, no, I'm going to shove this in the bin and start this again. but Regardless, that's not in it, and that's a choice that's been made. That so, would be a waste of product. That's why it's not yeah. cost effective. <laughs> I'd, I'd still rather do it, even if it costs me money, just to get that positive rating on the restaurant. But, but no, I do agree. That's that's probably the most valid argument I've heard uh, <laughs> against that. Actually, that said, I'll remember that next time I'm kicking myself. <laughs> so, for instance, for a salad, it, they might say we want bacon, we want onions, we want mushrooms, we want you know bacon, onions, mushrooms, and whatever the last thing is. I can't remember what it was, but it was G on the keyboard. And so you'd press one, and then it'd go, we want these. And so you press, you quickly hit on the keyboard B for bacon, O for onions, and whatever. M for mushrooms and something, and G for the other one. So you've just written in B-O-M-G. 
and you've put everything onto the food. That's it, bomg. And you just hit enter, and that's it. It's served. They're happy. You get a bit of a tip if you're quick, right? And that's the core of that game. But as the game goes on, you unlock more complicated recipes, but they pay you more money, which allows you to unlock better recipes and better equipment to do certain things. And that's really the core of Cook, Serve, Delicious. But it's done at such an odd pace. You have two rush hours that happen during the day where it just goes completely manic and all of your counters are full up. And there's a there's a great feeling of survival that comes from from managing to get through the day. And I don't think you can actually fail a day. But if you keep fighting, then at the end you're like... I can't believe it's done. It's brilliant. Wait a minute. I've just spent five minutes trying to cook in a kitchen when, wait, why am I doing this with my life? But it's, and so it's really satisfying in that kind of lifestyle simulator, like we mentioned in a previous uh, subject, Harvest Moon and stuff like that. And it's really kind of satisfying. I did have a question. Uh, so what are the kind of some of the key differences between part one and part two? I was just, I was just hitting the transition point there. <laughs> You have the best timing. Also, I'd just like to quickly... Oh, go on. The core of Cooks of Delicious isn't any cooking food or anything. It's being someone who is so sure of themselves that they will not hire another person. That's the core of the game. (laughs) (laughs) Being too good to just hire another person to work with you. That that is it. That ties in well to what I was just about to say. So the the big change, one of the big changes in Cooks of Delicious too, is you can do co-op. You can do. You can do uh, two-player co-op, uh, so you could have somebody, you could have somebody managing the orders that are coming in, and somebody prepping the row of kind of got the term for it now. But basically, the the other big change is that you have a second row of stuff where you can, if you want, prepare a bunch of onion rings. For instance, you hold down the tab key and press one, or you know, or whatever, and you prepare certain dishes or certain components of dishes so that when certain people come along, you can just press the button and you've already served them. It's like an instant, you know, I prepared, and so I've got four or five of these kind of instant solutions to problems. And so that adds a completely new layer to the game. So all of a sudden, you're not just juggling this food requires three or four levels of interaction. You're also juggling, I can put a bunch of things on here on my menu that I know are going to go out regularly and I can shove them on these back you know, tables and all of a sudden I've got a guaranteed income as long as I can keep them full, which is surprisingly hard when it comes to rush hour. But then as well as that, you can also put thing. you can also put sides on that. And if you've got sides, if you've got these kind of giveaway sides like macaroni, cheese, etc., then you get not just the perfect score for getting the meal right, but you get an added bonus to that because you provided a free side. And so nice. there's an extra there's an extra layer to it. And yes, it's more frantic, but then they've stripped back the story mode so you're not penalized for failing too much as in you don't have a whole reputation on the line you're still leveling up and you're still getting star rating but there's less being gambled and you don't have to upgrade as much you just kind of level up to unlock more more slots and more mills uh so yeah it's it's so have you and the missus played the game together yet we've not we've not done co-op yet no no uh there should be a video about that. That would be great. 
there would be a lot of shouting. That would be great. That sounds like fun to me. <laughs> shouting isn't fun. It can be. By the way, I don't think I've ever heard threat analysis and lasagna in the same sentence before today. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> lasagna is serious business. <laughs> you and Garfield would agree. <laughs> I equally hate Mondays. For some reason, I'm, I'm looking at. I had to look at the video because I didn't even know what this game was. It, it just makes me want to play Typing of the Dead again. That's a brilliant point, and yeah. and in many ways, that's also what this is. Because when you start cool. forming those nonsense, uh, those nonsense amalgamations of letters into nonsense words and remembering them, it's it's very much that. Uh, you can play on mouse and you can play on mouse as well, or obviously gamepad, as Toby mentioned earlier. Uh, and in the first one, I was playing mostly on keyboard, whereas I'm actually using the mouse more in this second one. In the second one, you can use the uh, middle mouse button, or the middle mouse wheel, sorry, to roll between different pages, because there are several pages of ingredients on certain things. Uh, and you can also hold down the click button to drag over things and select everything you touch, which is very useful when it comes to certain things like throwing out all of the rubbish or cleaning out one of the drinks machines and then refilling it. Uh, well, if I may, uh, there's also a, a game kind of like that. Uh, if anyone has ever played Overcooked, it's a great game to play with your uh, friends and family. Goodness. I've, I've played that. I've played it free player and it immediately made us all realize that we needed to play four player. <laughs> oh no, that's how dangerous but overcooked is very good as well uh and i imagine that when you're playing cooperative uh cooked serve delicious too you you do have that you do need to have that kind of like outside of the game level of verbal communication about who is going to do what so that you're not stepping on each other's feet which you mean shouting at each other <laughs> pretty much yeah and swearing like uh, I can't even remember that guy, chef's guy's name now. Who's the chef that swears a lot? Gordon Ramsay. That's the dude. You just turn into Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> it's like f this, f that, get this the, everything the thing out of there. The thing with Overcooked was that uh, you could take stuff off and then you could put it back on. Whereas in Cook Serve Delicious, once you've kind of pressed a button, you've committed to it. So if something hasn't finished cooking, but you're kind of I suppose a little bit shaky because you've just kind of cleared two or three things and it's all going a bit nuts and you press a button wrong, then that's it. You've, you've kind of ruined that meal as it were. You can't press a button to cancel that and reattempt it, which as I said earlier is a bit of a pain, but at the same par, it teaches you to be more controlled and try and remember the pattern of which the customers appeared. So it's definitely a game that you get a lot better with over time. Will we be seeing a review on the website? Yeah, almost definitely. I'm going to write something up about it. It's a hard game to review because there's so little to it, but at the same time, it's it's so engaging in the same way that I don't think people could ever really write proper in-depth reviews on clicker games. But we all know how dangerous they are and how you can spend far too much time kind of tweaking mathematically the, the levels and, and layers of characters in order to min-max things. And yeah. 
cook serve delicious is very much the same there's there's a kind of like you need to build the habits you need to actually simply train yourself to be good at that game and when you're good at that game all you're really doing is clicking things and hammering things so it's a it's a hard thing to explain if that makes sense yeah, oh, it makes, perfect. yeah. makes perfect sense anyway lovely thank you for that uh, eloquent description of this uh rather interesting looking game buy it buy it okay <laughs> there's the review right so last up we've got something that george put on the uh, itinerary for this week but i'm i'm rather excited about this as well not a particular game but this is a discussion on the nintendo direct that happened uh, this wednesday george it's your oh. topic so you can take it oh, take it away well i mean it's it's it was just something i felt like we should obviously talk about i i forced myself to watch it on friday night um because you know it's nintendo you gotta watch what nintendo's doing what they're bringing out and uh, I, I'm probably going to have a very unpopular opinion about this particular Nintendo Direct because I felt it to be slightly underwhelming, to be brutally honest. I think um, there's a lot of product jamming into this Nintendo Direct. There was a lot of, look what we're making. We're making plushies, and there's a new 3DS, and here's another new 3DS, and Pokemon. And there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of cool things that were kind of announced here and there, but I felt like, in general... This wasn't their greatest Nintendo Direct that I've seen thus far. No, I mean, I, I suppose I can kind of agree with that, considering, I I mean, I, I did stay up and I watched the whole thing from start to finish, but I can't remember much about it. Exactly. The, yeah, there wasn't much. I mean, the, the big thing that, that obviously I took, took away from it is Nintendo are now getting the third-party support that they deserve. What with uh, Doom coming out and then they're getting the brand new wolfenstein 2 he's coming to the switch as well and obviously we knew about la noir we discussed that the other week and i think yeah. this is a very very good thing for nintendo developers are now seeing it as a viable system and what bugged me about i mean not bugged me but what, what i thought was kind of like is those things that you mentioned were kind of like footnotes compared to like you know here's a new pokemon 3ds yeah but it was, it was like i don't know footnotes yeah it but it, it it kind of reminded me of the e3 one in many ways where the, where the really big stories that came out of there were the head of pokemon company saying we're making a pokemon game and the very brief glimpse of the metroid 4 logo they were the biggest stories with the least amount of content right yeah so I, I think that that was kind of the things I didn't like about um, this particular Nintendo Direct. Uh, the things I did like, um, which I think a lot of people came out about talking about this about it, and I kind of had the same effect, was uh, Project Octopath. That looks fantastic. It looks really neat. It reminds me a lot of Saga Frontier, if anyone's ever played that PlayStation game, old game. Um, it really reminds me of, reminded me of Saga Frontier, and it looks really kind of interesting the things that they're able to do with that game yeah and of course the other the other big thing that that came out of this which i i know that toby enjoyed was mario's <laughs> nipples yes we cannot talk about this <laughs> his nipples i i because i mean i'm i've already pre-ordered odyssey and i'm i'm very much uh looking forward to it because it's the newest in the mainline mario series and not another new another not another new super mario brothers it's not new anymore nintendo you've been doing it for 10 years you know that they're saying that nintendo for some reason is trying to prove that mario is human and that's why they gave him nipples <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean they gave him nipples surely he's always had nipples 
you've never seen ability. them before. Have you yeah, seen his really. nipples before, George? What kind of online websites have you been visiting? <laughs> but no, I, I I watched that. I mean, uh, it when it first started, and it was like, oh, you can go in shops and buy costumes, and I was like, oh my, f- oh my god. And then as soon as I saw Dr. Mario, I was like, okay, I'm sold. That's good to me. That's fine. <laughs> now, that's the question now, isn't it? Are the nipples just a costume? What, stick on? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Pieces, are they? No, they cover up nipples. That's the wrong way around. The guy's not got a belly button, which is obviously... He has other nipples underneath his, these nipples. Obviously, a belly button is a physical deformation caused by the uh, the way that humans sever the connection from the mother to the child on childbirth. So, so what he's saying is Mario was never born. He's some kind of pod person. Yeah, cloned. And not just not born, obviously, because technically people who are born by a cesarean section aren't technically born, as it were. They're just birthed, but. Uh, but yeah, it means that there's a high chance that he didn't have a mother per se. He may have been a test tube baby, or even worse, some strange hat demon. <laughs> this just got slightly dark. <laughs> but Look, it's funny that the nipples thing was kind of the big highlight of Nintendo Direct, really. Well, it's just direct. one of those things, and it? it always happens. The meme, a, a meme will always come out of something like this. His direct competitor was a blue hedgehog. Hedgehogs don't come in blue flavour. Trust me. I've checked. You can spray paint them one. <laughs> they do if you put them in the freezer long enough. Right? I don't think either of those last particularly long or run particularly fast, though. Oh, yeah, that is very true. Okay. Uh, blue he- a spray painted blue hedgehog attached to a rocket. Boom, Sonic. Sonic boom. There you go. <laughs> and on that bombshell. <laughs> So that brings us to the end of this week's uh, Big Boss Babble. Uh, I thank my th- the three guests once again this week. So that was Dan. Uh, thank you for the thank you. <laughs> uh, George. Mario is an alien. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And Toby. Good night all. Yep. And we'll all see you next week. Bye for now. <laughs>